boundary work only happens through experience. That's what I've learned. You can't really yes. do it in theory. You kind of just got to make the mistakes and learn from them yes. as painful as it is. And boundary work is eternal, I feel, because yeah. the boundaries continue to change and shift based yes. on the context of your life. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate, and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with the founder of Scallion Pancake, Jess Tran. Welcome, Jess, and thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's kick this off. We ask all of our guests this question. What was your first freelance rate? Yeah, so my first freelance rate was, I think I picked up freelancing with one or two clients that approached me a few years ago, and I just freeballed it. Like I had no idea what was what I was doing. I think it was somewhere between 50 to $60 an hour, but that was a number that was completely made up at the time. That's actually a pretty decent number going into it. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like when I started freelancing, well, my rate was really low. I didn't know how to price myself at all. I was doing a lot of like fashion shows. So it was like a project rate, but it would be like $1,000 for like five days. I think also when you start freelancing, you're usually working full time. Well, in my yeah. case, I was. So the money yeah. wasn't as much of a concern. I was just stoked to be approached for something like that. I think totally. at the time, the idea of freelancing made me feel like it was some sort of incredible possibility that I just wanted to like get the opportunity to start trying. So I wasn't yeah. too concerned about the money at the time. But thinking back on it, it was kind of funny how most people just make stuff up and have no idea yes. how to price themselves. No idea. No idea. I would love for you to kind of just start telling us a little bit how you've gotten into freelancing. So I have always worked in marketing. Um, I've worked in marketing. I've, I've basically the person that since I was 14 and nine months, which is when you were legally allowed to work in Australia, like on that nine month mark, I was working. And so I've been working since then. From college onwards, I had a lot of internships in PR and kind of got my start in tech PR in New York when I moved here at 20. So was doing PR for companies like Squarespace and ClassPass and kind of early stage startups that are quite big now. That was at an agency called Asterisk. And over the years, I transitioned slowly out of PR into more of a holistic brand marketing function, just because I felt like that was a more effective way for me to be able to tell stories and have more responsibility. And it just wasn't as siloed or pigeonholed as PR was. And I moved from more consumer goods-based businesses into specifically things that were more, I would guess, like sustainable or for good in some way, it had some sort of impact in their focus and mission. And how I got into freelancing was I had a few full-time roles doing leading things like business development and partnerships and influencer and brand marketing at various startups. My last role was doing a lot of partnership work for Intrepid Travel, which is a the largest sustainable travel company in the world. Unfortunately, with Miss Pandemic, travel was the first to go, which means I was the first to go. And I lost my job in February 2020 had freelanced one or two clients kind of very, very, very minimally and found myself in the position of just not making any money and needing to make money. So people started approaching me when they had lost my job. And at first, I just said that would be a holdover situation as I looked for a new job, given mm -hmm. the pandemic and the climate of employment and the whole thing where 
running your own business and freelancing makes you more money. You have more control of your schedule and it's just really aligned well with this big shift in my life from having a lot of self-limiting beliefs on who I am, what I'm capable of, if it's possible for me to work for myself, which I think actually suits my personality better, to this kind of path I've taken of I get to decide what my life looks like. And with my family, I'm the first ever in my lineage to be able to move countries or earn this much or you know, go to therapy. So being able to create a pathway to do something differently, and that includes being a leader and a business owner and a manager has been kind of the main alignment here. So it turned into a full-time consulting business in the matter of months without really any outreach or business development. I don't think I've actually done any business development up until this point, And I've been in business for a year and a half now. So it's really just accumulation of like all the wonderful people I've known over eight years here and just a lot of work and incremental work that has felt like it's gone nowhere, but has managed to give me this really fertile ground to own my own business. I'm so curious, how was working with like a Squarespace and a ClassPass startup? What was that like? I mean, it's chaos. I feel like the agency I worked at was chaos. And I was also, you know, 20 to 24 managing Mm -hmm. kind of big accounts and managing like 11 clients at once, which was insane. But it was fun because I learned so much about the most random shit. You yeah. want to talk to me about robo advisors? I know about that now. Like I did some work mm-hmm. with the film Ex Machina for A24 as well. So everything from movies to tech to consumer businesses, I think the dynamic nature of working with startups at that age was really, really exciting for me coming to the city and not knowing what I was doing because you're always doing something different. And given how early stage they were, there was just more room for ad-libbing and trying new things and experimentation because the teams were much smaller back then. So I feel really lucky to have had that as the start of my career. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like also when I worked on smaller companies or like beginning phases of companies, and I really always tip my hat to them and myself for wanting to work with like smaller companies that have now grown because I'm able to implement a lot of those practices or a lot of the things that I learned into my business now. But When you're in those startups, it's a really interesting way to kind of see what you like and what you don't like too, because you're not just in one lane. Normally you're like in multiple lanes. And like you said, you have a lot of room to like test things out, trial and error, see what works, see what doesn't work. That's super, super fascinating. All right. So then Miss Pandemic came through, you lost your job with the sustainable travel agency, and now you're freelancing and you started Scallion Pancake. First, I want to know. How did you come up with the name Scallion Pancake? What does it mean to you? Well, one, I think it's just kind of in line with the ethos of doing things in whatever way that I think is possible. You know, I have a lot of tattoos. I kind of don't look like a traditional business owner from, you know, a white male gay's perspective. So I think Scallion Pancake and choosing a name like that was actually really important for me to be like, well, I didn't know that I could just do whatever I want with this business. And the name came from being in the pandemic. Like everyone else in New York, I had my own sourdough starter that I was feeding every week and I was regrowing scallions just like everyone else. And every week when you grow the starter, the excess, you can actually just fry that with scallions and it's literally a scallion pancake. So every week I would have this like very regenerative delicious simple snack that came from ingredients that came out of my Brooklyn loft which you know, call me a farmer. Like I was pretty impressed with that. And the idea of just being able to align that with how I wanted to approach marketing and telling stories, which is with like 
regenerative ingredients, really good people, something simple, something effective. It just felt like a very nurturing, nourishing weekly tradition for me during the pandemic. And it was amazing that it came from just ingredients that were around me. So that's similar to how I want to approach marketing. And that's where the name came from. And even now when I you know, say it to my visa offices, when I get my visa or to any bank, they're always like, a lot of people are actually like, what's a scallion? Which is concerning. Or, you know, they identify it in the completely wrong cuisine. Like, I love Vietnamese food. It's like, it's not Vietnamese. I can't believe people don't know what a scallion is. That's so interesting. But let's now like kind of talk about the business, right? So what did you feel was like a really big struggle for you? I know that everything kind of came together very organically and you just kind of let things take its path. But what was your biggest struggle when starting Scallion Pancake? Oh, no, there's so much. I mean, the main two things that come to mind are, one, the self-limiting beliefs and the imposter syndrome and just the mental and emotional aspect of running a business where Mm -hmm. I don't come from generational wealth. I don't have people in my family who started businesses. I actually don't even have a mentor. And that has felt really isolating because Mm -hmm. oftentimes people have a co-founder or they have some sort of background where they can reach out to people who can give advice. And I've felt honestly just really confused at times and unsure about how to handle some of these parts of owning a business, which I think oftentimes reflects straight back into the work that you're doing personally. I feel like running a business just brings those things up constantly. And that was during a time for me where I was acutely in therapy and kind of the confluation of all these different Mm. opportunities to reflect felt like a little too much at times and a little too triggering, honestly. But the other piece is one is like self belief. And then the second piece is boundary work. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty across the board with everyone I've spoken to who's gone freelance, especially Mm -hmm. with my background of like, I have a lot of issues around scarcity in terms of how I grew up. So Mm -hmm. the concept of having no ceiling to how much you can work is really problematic for someone like me, Mm -hmm. because I tend to overcommit. I want to do a good job, but when you commit to too much, you can't do a good job. So learning that lesson and learning how to set boundaries with clients and with my work because I was suddenly in charge of my own mental health rather than some arbitrary external force was a big journey that I would say I'm okay now, but everyone I spoke to was like the first two years is the hardest with setting boundaries for yourself. And you'll be working till midnight or 1am and on weekends just because you can. Yeah. I've been doing this for almost five years and I just learned last year that I needed to set boundaries. And it's like, scary. I've been trying to implement them in my personal life. That is challenging. And it's really even harder when it's your business, you know, because I tend to do the same thing as you. The boundary setting is not discussed when you decide to go freelance. And unless you personally have those skills of setting boundaries, which come from your personal life, I think first, into your real life, like workplace, it's really hard to implement those and you don't talk about it and you don't hear about it. I mean, I come from a family where we're all workaholics, like we all work so much. And one of the big reasons why I actually moved out of New York after 10 years was because I needed a change of pace in New York. I could work until 10, 11 o'clock at night. I was getting so burnt out, but I didn't know why I was getting burnt out because I was like, this is normal. You're supposed to be working this much and like the hustle and you got to make money. And I definitely agree with you. Like that is one of the biggest challenges and it still is to this day. And I think it's an ongoing thing until you really just like sit with yourself. We have to work on this and we have to set these boundaries and I'm getting there. Like every month I feel like I'm getting closer to being really at my 
my place, but boundary work is eternal. I feel because the boundaries continue to change and shift based on the context of your life. And what comes to mind for me when you talk about this is like the piece about labor and production as value, which is something that I'm really diving into for myself with what are my values in life? What kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? And honestly, having your own business, I think it confuses a lot of those values to me of how much is my identity is based on my work and on making money. Do I need to be working all the time? Is productivity the highest value that I want to hold myself to? Or is my legacy going to be more around the love that I give and receive? And my work is a way, is a conduit to be able to like do that better, you know, and experience life in a better way. And I think freelancing specifically and owning your own new business, there are priorities that I think slot into wider life purposes of it gives me the the space and the money and the flexibility to be able to travel, to be able to go to Australia to see my family and work there if I need to, to be able to go out in the middle of the day and walk my dog if I need to. It gives me a better quality of life. But then it's, I think, in direct tension with this boundary work you're talking about, which that doesn't happen very easily. That slips away from your grasp if you're not practicing and being like, this is the purpose of doing this for me rather than this is now my whole life. I love that. So now we're kind of on this topic of boundaries and productivity. And I would love to know, like, how do you avoid burnout? Every freelancer, I feel like somewhat experienced this at some stage of their freelance journey. And I would love to know, how do you avoid, how do you avoid it? I think the specific formula for avoiding burnout is so different person to person. And especially in New York, I think it's like an extra hard place to learn how to avoid burnout. I feel like every time I come back to the city within three months, I'm burnt out no matter what I'm doing. And that's also just because prioritization. Like for me, it's going back to the basics of what's important and how I spend my time. I read this book called 4,000 Weeks, and it's about how we only have 4,000 weeks in our lifetime. And when you put a number around it, it becomes alarmingly clear that there is a limited amount of time that you can use. And we can't fill all of that time up with stuff. So for me, the key thing about avoiding burnout, which I'm working on in 2022, is identifying just these are things that are important to me right now. These are non-negotiable. And Mm -hmm. part of the the non-negotiable is time for self and time for stillness. That means not planning to go out to over dinner because I think social life is a huge contribute to burnout. Not working, not reading, not doing anything productive, just like doing the few activities that require me to be offline and that's happening regularly. So exercise, I think, is a gigantic one for me. I go climbing four or five times a week and I power lift around the same time and just spending time with like my friends and with the dog, like really making sure that I'm giving myself space to do nothing has been the number one thing around burnout because before I was trying to manage burnout through planning more relaxing activities, like I'm going to therapy and I'm meditating and I'm working on myself and I'm journaling, but oftentimes that is still work and that is still using up mental capacity and bandwidth that you just need the space to really unplug completely. So that I think has been a struggle because I just came back from Australia and Australia is, it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to wake up and do nothing. And I was there over Christmas, which means between Christmas and New Year's, there's like two weeks that everyone takes off. Nobody is like not a single person is working. Everyone's universally on vacation and being online in the States and knowing we get like, you know, three to four days off during that period of time was really confronting because this economy and this country is so much around labor and so much around the grind and the hustle. And I would love to bring more of that ethos back here into my life because I do think it's possible. I just Mm -hmm. think that it's easy to be distracted. 
Freelance Founders is more than just this podcast. It's a thriving members-only community and resource hub for the top creative and marketing freelancers from around the world. Our digital platform acts as a home base to freelancers across 49 cities, 13 countries, and counting. As a member, you get access to like-minded individuals, exclusive freelance jobs, professional development workshops, a library of resources, and invites to exclusive in-person events, all available wherever you are. One member even said, if it weren't for freelance founders, I would have quit freelancing. This community has introduced me to countless creatives, helped me increase my rates, and find lots of new jobs. Apply by April 1st to get access to our spring cohort. I agree on that point, especially in New York. I feel like it's very easy to be distracted, even if you did take off those two weeks in between Christmas. The city's so buzzy. There's so much going on, you know, and for me, at least, that's how I felt. You know, I felt like I it was hard for me just to sit and like do nothing. 2022 goal for me is definitely learning to sit in stillness and being okay with it and being okay with like not going through my to-do list of a million things I need to be doing for my clients or for family or for myself. Like you said, you know, going to therapy takes up a lot of that mind space. And so for me too, I love working out. That's like when I'm not thinking about anything and I leading up to Christmas, I would block out time in my calendar just to be able to go to the gym because I knew I needed that moment of just like, even if it's 30 minutes, it's 30 minutes to back to myself that lets me reset and like not get burnt out for the rest of the day. I think it's the calendar commitment for me. It's the like, I'm putting it down in writing and this time is for me. Mm -hmm. This is so sad because I I'm the ideal daily harvest customer. I'm like too busy. I'm a vegan. I don't have time to cook. And for a time there, I wasn't even eating lunch. So now I've actually put on my calendar every day an hour like lunch break for myself because they're just these things that you need to do to handhold to make sure you take breaks because otherwise I'm just here and I need to go walk the dog and I need to make myself food. And those things are really, really important. But for some reason, when you're in it, it doesn't feel important anymore. It feels like something you can easily skip. So just like really treating myself as an employee has also been really, really helpful rather than just a founder being like, I also need to be taken care of just the same way that I'd want other people to be taken care of. I love that because I think as founders, you tend to put everybody else first and you're like, oh, I'll take care of myself last. But if you're not at your full capacity and your full ability, you can't be a great leader. I'm big on like lead by example. So I have a client that they block out like every day, an hour for lunch. And I just really respect that. And I'm like trying to get there, but I tend to forget to do that. You've inspired me. Good. You're going to eat. Yes. That's important. (laughs) But I think that's kind of what's sad about like living in a really capitalist society is that like we're reduced to literally not remembering to eat lunch, which is insane. It's the lead by example thing. It's the like do what your community does thing that you don't want to step out of what's normal. So I think it's so important to establish a culture that, and also when I start to really start to employ people and to scale, I want to make sure that they see that I'm taking time off from having a hard time. I'm taking every day a lunch break. I'm walking around. You know what I mean? Like it just seems crazy to me that we don't value mental health in regards to productivity because no one works well if they're depressed and anxious. No, totally. I 100% agree. I really would love to hear more actually about your plans on scaling Scallion Pancake. I have um, a few part-time contractors right now that work regularly for me and have been for about a year now. But honestly, I'm recently going through a big breakup. 
I was saying to one of the people that I work with that it's probably going to be the best thing that's ever happened to this business because I think there was part of me that thought I was honestly going to, you know, have a baby and leave New York somewhat soon and that's postponed now. So I'm just excited to really reinvest and to scale. I think going to Sydney, Australia is going to make sense because I want to chase summer. And I think the Sydney market would be perfect for what I do, which is more around purpose-driven brand marketing. So fingers crossed, but I think within the year, I'll have a few employees in both Sydney and New York. I'll have an office in Sydney and an apartment there in summer. And I'm saying it just because I want to say it out loud so it's like I can be held accountable for it. But that's That's kind of what I want to do. I want to do like a bi-coastal easier life a little bit. So I'm not here for the winter. I agree. I think that's so smart. It's a great way for you to focus in on yourself and focus in on your business. It sounds like you have an incredible plan. I would love to be living in Sydney during the summer and New York during the summer. That's really important for you when you are scaling and bringing on employees as well as just showing them like you can have a great lifestyle just as much as I'm having that right now. And I'm doing that for myself, but also for the business. So that's great. And I think in terms of scaling, what I'm interested in is like, how do you scale effectively while retaining core values that I have that is important to my personal life? And how do I make sure that as I grow and make more money and bring more people into it, that that ethos can infect others? Because For me, a big motivator behind being a business owner and being able to give opportunities to young people for work is being able to lead from a place of compassion, like a place of kindness, a place of balance. And also with my background, I really, really can bridge the gap between where I came from and where I am now. And I know what it's like to be treated. And there's always a part of me that wondered why when I worked for other people, it's very rare to have a really incredible manager. And it's really rare to work in a place that makes you feel fulfilled and balanced and respected. And I've always wondered why that is, because we were all treated like that at some point. So why do we perpetuate those behaviors? And that's a really, really big part of scaling for me is the values conversation and the what kind of work am I taking on and how am I treating the the ecosystem of people around me. I would love to get more into your values. Can you just share some of your your values and how you carry those over when you're working with your clients? Yeah, so the main thing is I only work with businesses that are either run by people of color or have a clear impact or purpose in their mission. So this could be a consumer goods company like Omsom, which is an Asian food startup run by two first-generation Vietnamese sisters. It could also be something like working with Planned Parenthood, which is more around the advocacy side of things um, and getting young people to register to vote and march and use their voices. So across the board, it just has to make the world a better place than how it founded. That is the number one thing. And how I'm trying to really practice that is by exercising my no and being really, really clear and defined about work that I am turning down because I'm creating space for work that actually matters to me. And that has been really hard. I've had to learn the hard way with what fulfills me and what doesn't. And I think when you own your own business, it's so, so, so important to have values that you stick to because otherwise you're just a gun for hire and you're doing everything. And if you're going to create your own business and why not do it for things you care about? That's how I feel about it anyway. So for me, the values are one is just integrity and purpose in the mission, leaving the world a better place than we found it, supporting people of color, as well as just supporting people who are good. I don't want to perpetuate the culture that didn't serve me when I was growing up where I didn't see myself reflected in it. And I only want to be working with people that I actually believe are good. That yeah. includes both from a business perspective and that the way they are, they handle the interpersonal relationships. So how do they communicate? How do they set boundaries? How do they respect my boundaries? And how do they approach balance as well? And how do they run their business? So 
aligning the energy everywhere in terms of purpose and compassion has kind of been the overarching theme for values for me. And a big thing is also just impact on the environment. I think that's obviously something that's a no-brainer these days and something that I'm personally very interested in and have been for a long time as well. I think it's so important because going back to what we were saying in the beginning when we were talking about rates, when I first started and I chose to, to go into freelance, but it was very much like I just was taking on projects just to take on projects. And I've dealt in looking back now with some really not so great people and the way that they treated me or their team. And as I'm getting older, I get to make these choices. No one's forcing me to work with these people. If it's meant to be a great partnership, it will be. But if it's not, like it's not worth going through all of that. This year, I was like, I'm I'm not going to work with people that don't align with my values, that don't speak to me with respect in the way that I'm not full-time. I can walk away from this, you know, and but also have mutual respect for each other and how we run each our own businesses and understanding that and respecting those boundaries of I like to put all of my client calls on Monday and Tuesday, and then I just crank out work Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, I work on my side project. I think it's so important to have those values in, in place. And it's okay if you, if you don't have them quite yet. You have to figure out what works best for you and what's so important to you. And, it, and realize that people, if they're respectful, will, will respect those values. But it took me a while to get there. That's so amazing that you've been able to set those boundaries for yourself. And I think, unfortunately, boundary work only happens through experience. That's what I've learned. You can't really yes. do it in theory. You kind of just got to make the mistakes and learn from them. Yes as painful as it is. And what brings up for me is the idea of, you know, what is meant for you is not going to miss you. And I think Mm -hmm. that comes from like an energetic alignment place of you don't need to force anything that doesn't work because there is infinite amounts of opportunity out there. And you really have to believe in that opportunity and that you can attract the work that makes sense for you. It's the same thing as having a partner. Like not every person is going to be for you. Why would every business contact and every contract work for you? It's actually just an energy suck in a way that I think wastes much more than time and money. It wastes like your capacity and your motivation to keep going. That again, I think people can't be too hard on themselves because you only learn by doing. And I have spent three years now finally getting to the place of really trusting and surrendering to what is meant for me. And that's something that I would have never said three years ago because it sounded too too woo-woo, too like crunchy for me to say. But that is just an ease of living and of doing business that I think is possible and I want to believe is possible rather than this very like make everything work, act out of a place of scarcity, don't believe there's more to come because there is always something else. I completely agree. I think fear has a lot to do with that as well. The fear of like not being able to succeed in the way that you think you're supposed to or the fear that like, what if I said no to this client? What if I'm putting that energy out into the space of like, and no one else is going to come to me? I think fear holds us back in a lot of ways that doesn't benefit us in the long run because we're saying yes to things that are actually holding us back and not giving us the space to bring on those projects that are actually going to make us happy and fulfill us and and make an impact in your business, in the world, in another company's business. Okay, we have three last questions that we always ask our lovely guests. And the first one is, when you're on your own it's really hard sometimes to measure success, you know, when you, you are, you're first starting out freelance or if you're starting your own agency, what does success mean to you? It's different for everybody. 
Success for me at the moment is peace. It is so not money related anymore. I think now that I'm single as well, there are some you know financial goals that I want to hit with the business and financial savings mm-hmm. goals for myself to build wealth. But truly, I think success is going to be looking at the like the world that I've built around myself and knowing that I did this, that I created a whole community of like-minded individuals who are all working in tandem to do something better for the work, for the world. That's something that's really important to me. And I don't know how that's tangible, honestly, other than just a feeling. And what sounds really nice for me right now is that when I think about that feeling, I have it now. I look around me and I look at what I've built in a year and a half. I look at the clients I have and how they treat me and how I treat them and the people I get to employ. And that feels like success to me. I think success is something that I want to keep honing in on as something that's present already. Like this is enough. And at the same time, I always want to be doing more. And I think there are very tangible benchmarks financially you can set for yourself, like whatever, 20 year on, 20% year on year growth or whatever it is, or whatever arbitrary number. But at the end of the day, it's really just freedom and respect and compassion and being able to live a life in alignment with that, which is happening for me right now. So I'm working on feeling successful no matter what's happening and regardless of the context, even though that's a cop-out answer. <laughs> it's not, but I think that's a great answer. I also love the fact that you have your own goals set. That's a great way to measure the many wins of success, you know, as well as feeling that peace. You're growing this business and people are meeting your values and that's even more important. So that's amazing. Congrats. Thank you. I think the other piece in success is like getting really micro on what is success. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. let's say you mess up with a client and you lose that contract. I think there is still a successful way to manage that situation and to exit that situation. And I think there's, it's important to identify what success looks like on a context basis as well, rather than this macro, how am I going overall? There's a lot of things to celebrate about how you handle every situation as a business owner. And that's so important to not lose hope. That was a great answer. I have a mantra that I always like remind myself. And I always tell people when uh, they enter into the freelance world, and that is Never let your highs be too high and never let your lows be too low. Do you have a tagline or a mantra that you like repeat to yourself or you share with your team? Not with my team. I think for myself, it is just back to surrender. Honestly, surrender is back to basics and everything that I feel and experience is just a lesson in surrender, whether that is surrendering to joy and to opportunity or surrendering to how I feel and paying attention to that because I think your feelings are the best teacher and your gut instincts are the best teachers. So really honing in on that. And then also just surrendering to this idea of what we touched upon before, which is that like what is meant for you is not going to miss you and being open to what the universe has to offer and what you have to offer back without trying to control the narrative too much. I'm also not someone who works in that way. And my personal challenges are mostly around scarcity and letting go of that as like getting in my own way. So surrendering is my way of just like, I can't control anything. So I might as well just try. I love that too. Gosh, you're really just killing these last couple questions. I (laughs) really great takeaways. So thank you. And then just to finish it up, I know I started out our conversation with, with what was your first rate. So now we finish this conversation with what's your ballpark now? My ballpark now is 120 to 160 an hour. 
that depends based on if it's a project basis, if it's a retainer, for bundling hours, what we're doing, what the type of work is. And I think that's the best part about free- being freelance is if I want to try production and I don't have a lot of experience in that, then I'll lower my fee. But if I'm doing something right. like influencer marketing, then that's something that I have a lot of ex- expertise in and I can raise that fee. So short answer is it really, really depends based on the client. And I think that's the wonderful thing too, is I'm not bound by investors or outside investment in any way. And I get to decide what value I put on relationships, you know? Well, Jess, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my chat with Jess Tran. You can find out more about Jess by visiting her website at scallionpancake.co. To learn more about freelance founders, head over to our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.